with no time for even mental preparation. Every 10 days, they were supposed to get one free day to shower and kick back. But for the first month, they were so behind that they worked right through those days off. It was almost to the point where you almost had to schedule a time when you could go to the bathroom. It was that tightly scheduled, Carr later recalled. As Cooper detailed in his article, there were other gripes too, from both sides. Gibson, a stylish guy back on Earth, kvetched about his monochrome space wardrobe. I feel like I've been drafted into the army with this darn brown. I'd like to get some different color t-shirts, Cooper quotes him as saying. There were also more concrete clothing complaints. One thing I would like to have is a couple of plain old handkerchiefs around here, said Gibson, who hated tissues. He also disliked the towels, which he said were scratchy and non-absorbent. What's more, bad design meant that none of the astronauts' tools fit in the particular pockets they were supposed to. As a result, they had to put them in other spots, which led to some downright dangerous MacGyvering. Every time I raise my right foot to tie my shoelace, I jab myself in the groin with the scissors, Carr told Cooper. This discontentment came through in various ways. All three grew beards, an unusual choice, and one that Cooper writes made the men on the ground uneasy. Eventually, he writes, Mission Control began openly describing the crew as lethargic and negative, something that had never happened before. Their clear displeasure failed to affect any changes. The controllers had their complaints, but always expected them to break through the barrier, writes Shaler. A few days before New Year's Eve, they hit that barrier instead. This is also where the story gets a bit, well, spacey. For a full orbit during that day, a little over 93 minutes, none of the astronauts manned any of the radios that connected them to mission control. Depending on whose account you are relying on, this may have been an accident. In David Hitt's 2008 book, Homesteading Space, Gibson says that the three men simply failed to synchronize their radio response shifts, and that as a result, one day we made a mistake and for a whole orbit we had all our radios off. The press, he says, misconstrued this as a purposeful action. There was no strike in space by any stretch of the imagination, Gibson says in the book. What could we threaten to do? Go live on the moon? He says the same in his oral history, calling it a myth. A 2016 Reddit thread details the case against the strike characterization extensively. But other accounts suggest it was at least somewhat purposeful. In a 1997 New York Times interview, Carr says that at that point, he and his crewmates had told Mission Control that they were finally taking their day off, which they emphasized by shutting off the radios. We looked out the window, took showers, and did that sort of thing, he said. In his own oral history, he describes that day as one where they did what they wanted to do, reading, looking out the window, and doing some off-the-cuff experiments. But there, he too says that they got careless with the radios and that the press had blown things out of proportion. Whether it was the radio issue, the lingering aura of the vomit incident, or the pattern of complaints, or, more likely, just everything together, it was now clear that certain things needed to be hashed out between Mission Control and the Skylab 4 crew. On December 28th, Carr got on the radio and laid down what he described as a special message for Phil Schaefer, the flight director, and Dick Truly, the Civil Air Patrol communications officer. In it, he requested a conversation. Are we behind, and if so, how far? Or is all this hustle over our time a result of people coming out of the woodwork with new things to be done, he asked. I'd like to get some straight, unabridged words from you guys on just exactly where we stand. We'd like to be in on the loop. Two days later, that conversation began. Firstly, the astronauts laid out their side of things. I told them everything, Carr later recalled. I said, we need more time to rest. 
We need a schedule that's not quite so packed. We don't want to exercise after a meal anymore. We need to get the pace of things under control. Next, it was Mission Control's turn. According to NASA transcripts, they had five pages of comments and status statements teleprinted on board Skylab. They then gave the astronauts these straight, unabridged words they'd ask for. It's apparent to us that the scheduling was too ambitious, truly said. They continued in this vein, briefly interrupted every ten minutes or so as Skylab lost and regained contact with the ground. Carr was willing to give this part of the situation a title. He later described this as the first sensitivity session in space. The negotiations were successful. For the last half of the mission, the astronauts of Skylab 4 got mealtimes and evenings off. Rather than being rigorously scheduled, the day's tasks were added to a shopping list posted in the station, which the astronauts then completed when they decided the time was right. It worked beautifully, Carr said. It turns out when the mission was over...